Welcome to The Cleaning Podcast. Dedicated content to answer all of your cleaning how-tos with the industry's most knowledgeable experts. If you need to clean it, sanitize it, deodorize it, and or otherwise remove from it all unwanted matter, you're in the right room. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Cleaning Podcast. Uh, Before I get started, let's do a little housekeeping. I thought I might quickly outline how this show came about and what we're seeking to accomplish here. It all started kind of from my lack of knowledge. I'm a scientist by nature. Before I was CEO of Service Monster, I had two successful STEM careers, one as a biomedical polymer chemist and the other as a code slinger for Fortune 500 companies. So science is kind of in my blood. But as long as I've been serving the cleaning industry these last 16 years, I am woefully ignorant about the science of cleaning. So I thought that I would seek to correct that. And as I did, I quickly understood the amazing lack of credible resources that are available. This huge fog of war. And most people, house cleaners, carpet cleaners, pressure washers, they focus on the task, right? You need to get something done. And so you go figure out how to do that thing. And there's plenty of material out there like that. And there's lots of material on running a service business. Obviously, Service Monster has an amazing YouTube channel for the business how-tos. You can check that out. But in this podcast, I want us to focus on a little more in-depth behind the process and science of cleaning. I think it's important that you guys understand kind of some of the fundamentals and then also understand how much you don't know, which can help maybe entice you to get into classes and actually get certifications. Uh, I think we're starting to miss out on that, which leaves an interesting business proposition for those that actually attack it. As the new breed of business owners comes to pass, they're going to be lacking in credentials based off what I've seen now. They're sharing information in groups and YouTubes, and that's fine. And we're certainly sharing information here in, in the podcast format, but you really need to get in the classroom to unmap that fog of war and really figure out kind of the in-depth of what you're doing. Because if you are that expert, then you're going to be that expert to your client. And that has a lot of value. So as I started going through trying to find credible information, and I realized there's such a vacuum of it out there, no pun intended, I realized that in my own backyard, a handful of experts have cross paths with Service Monster over the years. And so I thought I would reach out to the people who I felt had the highest integrity, um, the most knowledge, and kind of see if we could get a stable cast of experts that we can call on to answer these questions. My questions as I go through this journey, and then any questions that you have as a result that we can fabric into a show. If you have any questions, send them to the cleaning podcast at servicemonster.net. The the is part of the email, the cleaning podcast at servicemonster.net. So as I go on this journey, I would encourage you to join me, ask questions, and see what we can glean from the experts such as we have today. My guest expert today is Sean, and um, I'm going to let him kind of outline, because I know a lot of stuff about him, and, and, and so I don't know what he would rather... <laughs> have out in the airwave. So Sean, why don't you kind of outline who you are and why you're passionate about cleaning? 
Well, again, thanks, Joe, for the invitation. Um, my name is Sean Bissayon. I am an industry trainer with the cleaning and restoration industry as my focus. I do consulting with private small companies as well as large um, training classrooms with lots of different folks that come in for the IICRC certification programs, um, specifically you know, training those individuals looking to get into the carpet cleaning side tends to be my focus. Upholstery cleaning, um, the commercial subset, as well as the residential part of the carpet cleaning industry tends to be a big part of what I tend to spend my time on. Um, I've worked, came from a family started business where I was apprenticed in an oriental rug retail store and washing plant. So I was able to learn on a lot of the finer textiles and, and was forced, was truly forced to study uh, the science of cleaning on a level that uh, probably a lot of people don't get the opportunity to. So I went from a cleaning family business, went to work in the manufacturing side of our industry for both carpet cleaning truck mounts, got to work closely with the chemistry folks and uh, really learn about what goes in and about the science of our cleaning. And I've always just truly been wanting to help others. I love helping others succeed, make a journey forward quicker. And um, I really love seeing that light turn on in people's eyes and Oh, that's why those aha moments of teaching really inspire me to keep on going and why well, I've done it for over 20 years now. That's interesting that uh, the aha moments, it shows that you really do have that heart of a teacher. And I think that's why we connect so well, because I'm very much the same way, right? With my kids, we homeschool. I yeah. get those aha moments a lot. And in business, of course, as a leader, um, teaching others to kind of help to build the brand takes a, takes a lot of teaching moments, a lot of whiteboard conversations. It does. And I, and I, I really just, you know, I enjoy teaching why something is happening for someone. Uh, my grandmother early on called me Bugsy because I asked so many questions. And I think that's maintained, <laughs> Bugsy, sure. that's maintained where I'm at today. I've always asked why. I wanted to seek the reason for this happening so that I knew it was, in, in my mind, there was no other better option or more you know, advanced or quicker, corrective way to, to, to handle something. So whether I was studying music or science or studying any, and I'm not a chemist. I don't prout, I don't uh, tout to be one. I'm a cleaning trained specialist and I've had a lot of exposure to the cleaning sciences through some of my great mentors that have been through this track of IICRC and sciences and through some that have some real chemistry background um, that actually build the cleaning solutions and the products and that built them in connection with studies of how they affected the surfaces we we're cleaning. So I just, I guess, you know, it's really, again, I love teaching why it's happening and um, that I've understood it well enough. Cause I'll tell you what, when I first came to some of my first classes and sat through my first certification programs in this industry, it took me a couple of times to know what, what did that guy, what is that about? And and so I really try to relate even in a single visit in a two-day intensive specialist class. And that's the way I refer to a lot of my training classes, not just an ISERC, sit down, study a book, look at a PowerPoint, take a test. I really treat it as a very intensive course. And I ask my students that are there to accept that, that they've enrolled in something that's not just your average and hopefully they can download a lot to, to take it in and, and really... And then I try to form those courses around the individual groups that I have, whether it's a group of union employees at an airport or um, a collection of specialized independent contracting carpet cleaners that are coming from, you know, a certain demographic like Seattle or Portland or Denver or wherever I might be training at.
but uh, I love love teaching. I love what I do, and I love that I get it well enough to help others. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the key, right? Understanding it. There's lots of people out there um, who want to be helpful, who may have the heart of a teacher and have tasted a little bit of success and want to turn that camera around, but they don't have the depth of knowledge yet. Uh, you know, it's interesting as a Gen Xer. I see the divide between the millennials and the boomers a little differently in that there is a knowledge uh, vacuum happening because the millennials are like, I got this boomer. And the boomers like, ah, entitled lazy ass millennial. And so they're not passing the, the torch as far as like general common information and knowledge. And so it's, it's a, uh, it's a problem and we're trying to solve it. Yeah, we're seeing a lot. I mean, it is a big training gap for us that there, but I, you know, you see there, there's the servant attitude in the eyes of those people that are in that age bracket and they're different. And there's a group of them that are, that are receiving it well and that are coachable, um, that are willing to look past their screens and, and listen to what's going on in the, the, the real world and why this connects to maybe, you know, you know, the question even in this, what is clean? I mean, that, that relates to, the understanding of clean there. My young son's room is very clean to him, but my wife and I walk in there and we have a different set of set of standards that we put to what we think clean means. And that gets toned in to, to individuals as to what they meant. It's, I, yesterday I was in a client's home as well as being an industry consultant training. I own a cleaning company. Uh, my wife and I run a very successful cleaning and restoration business in the Denver market and um, throughout Colorado. And Yesterday, I was in a very exclusive home dealing with a house manager, and their level of clean is at a different level. And you, you, you <laughs> at, a, at a level that you don't feel comfortable in their home level. Like, I'm looking yeah. for the speck of dirt to get out of your home that you're willing to pay me thousands of dollars to service if I say yes. And if I say yes, that I'm okay to clean this product that a lot of carpet cleaners wouldn't realize is $80,000 worth of carpet in three bedrooms. Yeah. And are they even covered to expose themselves to that kind of risk for a, a minimal amount of soil? And then can they set the expectations properly with a client after knowing where they're coming into? But it's a uh, th this training point of cleaning and understanding what cleaning is, is definitely, you know, we clean a large gap of 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 places like I just spoke about, you know, the, the high end Wilton carpets, wool woven. If you hit it with hot water, it's going to shrink kind of an environment. You got to know a little bit more about cleaning to approach that product than the track home with polyester carpet that you can hit with nuclear powered chemistry almost that you can't hurt the carpet. You're going to hurt the environment more because of the chemistry you've chosen to get rid of that dirt that you probably didn't even need to use. Too many people are triple boosting their pre-sprays and getting nuts with their stuff and not realizing that, they, what are you going after? Wait a minute. Why are you using that? I often ask my guys, why are you using that spotter on that spot? Not because they're doing it wrong, because I want to know if they know why and not just to do it. And um, that's that's kind of how I want to make sure people take the depth of their decisions. Why are you doing that? Not just do it. And so I, I have a coach and a mentor above me, my uh, 5S Six Sigma process engineer. And um, he keeps me right to make sure that we're getting processes forward and answering and filling in the gaps of systems and that systems build our way. And then we fill in the depth of understanding to those that are you know, able to take more than just the system and actually know why they're doing it. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for that background. And, and you're right. You tied it directly into the topic today. What is clean? 
Um, you know, when I put together this kind of ninja team, I got really excited. And then I realized pretty quickly, oh crap, I wonder if this is going to be like an ask service monster. I mean, we did 80 episodes of business content and then the questions weren't that were coming in were all the same as stuff that we've answered. We could just answer it with a previous video we did. And of course I hate repeating myself. So that meant that show was done. (laughs) And so without anything to fuel it. And so I I said, I wonder if this kind of the cleaning podcast is going to go that route. And man, I spent less than 10 minutes generating a two page bullet point list of things related to clean and cleaning uh, before I realized this is infinitum. There's, there's, we will have cleaning in perpetuity. I am, I'm convinced of that. And then I sat down and went, well, wait a second. Well, at, philosophically, what's the root of all this? What is clean? Of course, I hit it into the Google box and we got the urban dictionary definition, which I, you know, I might, uh, make that a thing when we define things. What does urban dictionary say? Um, and right, the the lingo today is it just means it looks really nice. So we use this in technology. Those screen designs are clean. It means that they're easy to understand. There's breathable. It looks nice. Or, you know, that outfit is super clean. Like it looks good. It's sharp. You look like, you know, you look like you're, you mean business. Um, and of course, the raw definition, I don't think, is any more accurate. Um, if you go in the Webster Dictionary, it says free from dirt, marks, or stains. And I'm like, well, wait a second. That seems to be missing things like bacteria, viruses, and spores. <laughs> so that led me down an interesting journey. So I want to talk about this story and then kind of get your feedback on it and see if you've heard this. Um, in 1846, a Hungarian doctor, Ingot Smeljvis, I don't know if you've heard of that Smeljvis? name before. That's a great name. Yeah, it is. And I forgive my uh, Hungarian friends the poor pronunciation, but uh, this individual was in charge of birthing babies in a clinic. And um, he was a, one of the early doctor slash scientists, right? Before it was spirits and holy water. Um, these guys started around the mid 1800s, started tying science to actual, uh, doctors. And, and so he started collecting data about birthing statistics and he found that women were five times more likely to die in a clinic staffed by doctors and students than they were through women who were having babies through midwives clinics. Sure. The cleaner environments and the homes and no disease. Well, what he, he tried to correlate the two several times and he failed three times to try to explain what was going on. First, it was the women and the midwives were laying on their side. So he made everybody give birth and nothing changed. And then he tried another thing and it, it, same thing, same result. But he ended up realizing that the doctors were doing autopsies and the midwives weren't. Mm, they're bringing death in there. They're bringing death because no one was washing their hands. Yeah. And so he said, well, wait a second, let's everybody start washing our hands. And he all but eliminated childbirth fever uh, within his clinic. And, and what's really interesting to me is the backlash that he got. The medical community for 20 years refused to accept his information. And they continued to not wash their hands. And, uh, I, you know... 
cultural change, even in the face of evidence, sometimes is uh, is amazing. So that's why I say stay educated. You know, get the facts, get the information, and get it from credible sources who have done this for a long period of time. So uh, have you heard? You never heard that story, Sean? Uh, well, I have in some lights in the doctoring messages with the mortician switched over, and actually about the time that science and medicine started to meet and it wasn't seen as quackery was about when they started wearing lab coats and you started wearing and you saw the white lab coat emerge and the mortician stopped practicing live science and death science has started to separate and who was practicing what so not a specific yeah. study no but the connection to cleanliness and you know the fact of what is our definition we give it in our industry it's the removal of an undesired subst uh, an undesired substance from a surface that is unwanted so an environment free of unwanted matter. I think it, if I were to boil it down to an essence. Absolutely. Because sometimes we want some of the things in our cleaning processes today. We've learned to use this new magical chemistry systems and you spray it on and it disappears or you know, new kinds of chemistry like encapsulation versus uh, the use of a traditional surfactant in cleaning where we're, we're putting something on an undesirable substance to change that material so that now it becomes vacuumable that until we sprayed this stuff, this magic sauce on it, 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 it didn't, it wasn't removable. It was sticky to the fiber or its polarity or charge or energy was attaching it in some way to the surface it was on. And so we're using materials to remove materials. We're using stuff and we don't want to leave that behind has been, a, I think a common challenge in the carpet cleaning industry is you're going to leave residues in the end of your result of cleaning from the cleaning process itself. So that's, uh, but yeah, the, the whole definition is removal, get rid of it. And to what level are you removing that substance? And, and then you have to put it in perspective to who your client is and what their perception of clean is, because we can have our perception and want to take it down to the my, my, microbial level of removal of every little ion of things that are foreign, but one that's not practical in most scenarios. And secondly, well, the cost goes not, up, the smaller yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah. The soil level that we're removing from a movie theater versus a client that, that never really walks in a room and it just has light soils that are settling from the atmosphere on the carpet that they don't even have pets or things. I was in a home the other day. They have, they allow nothing but kosher items in their house. You may not wear your shoes in their house. They must stay outside. They don't allow you to bring your own water in the home. They don't allow you to bring your own lunch to, to work. If you're working in the property, you must leave the property. I mean, so the, uh, the perception of what is clean is, is definitely has to be established for a cleaner to, to set the line of what they're doing. But, you know, we can discuss the science of it and the reality of our industry, on a lot of levels. I'm sure we can explore that in a further podcast. Absolutely. And we, I'm sure we'll dive in uh, to some people's discontent, <laughs> yeah. but others, I, I, I'm hoping that it, you know, this level of knowledge over time helps them. If you, it's like, you know, any kind of science, if you understand some of the more fundamental workings and you can wield it to your advantage, it becomes a superpower. Yeah. Like if you understand about, you know, your surfactants and absorption and ag agitation and heat and air quality and mold and dust. And, you know, you, we can, there are so, there, you have no idea how many different topics we can actually do on this, but, you know, and testing cleanliness. I, I don't, Sean, I don't know if you know this, as I was an R and D chemist uh, mm -hmm. for biomedical polymer, I had to know how to in 
uh, enter and exit clean rooms and clean clean rooms. You mean Dawn and Doff, your your uh, PPE? Uh-huh. So in the lab, of course, I got to wear my white coat, which I know you're so fond of. Oh. Uh, and of course, in the clean room, you wear a freaking full hazmat suit. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, oompa, 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 loompa it up. You know, at least when we do that in the client's house, they tend to leave us alone. Yeah, exactly. You know, for like, a deterrent, just let me do my job. You know, I'm wearing this suit. It's just for my protection. Don't worry about it. Yeah, until you get until you use tongs to pick something of theirs up, then they start <laughs> looking at you funny. <laughs> well, it was a little odd, and it was by the bed, and we didn't want to talk about what it was. It was a little awkward yeah. for us and you. We just put it in a bag, and we're going to move on. And but leave I'll your radioactive you. meters at home. Yeah, for sure. But you know what? That, that it's all a different level of what that in the science and the power of knowing what to spray on something or the salute is even solvable to remove that soil in the cleaning process is, is overwhelming. I think to some people when they come through a class that I teach the end of the classic, Oh, that's why it happens. I can go, I can go into a customer's house. Now I, I have no problem choosing which sprays and which product. And, and I have no problem telling the client that is not a cleanable situation that's reached another level of use. And, um, and, and it just, it's, it's nice when they know for sure it's not cleanable or it is. And that's, that's, right. a, that's something we bring them to light with. And, and I think a lot of the instructors do a great job at presenting our industry information and, and diving deeper into it when they can, you know, there's some audiences that I don't go as deep in my course with in when I'm teaching, cause I know the audience isn't ready for it. And there's, you know, when I'm working in a union employee airport basement, environment where all the staff are they're just trying to sit through the job and stay awake and uh, there's a difference to that to the entrepreneur like you or i that i want to know why 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 and 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 then we can go once we know why then you can start asking me what's my favorite pre-spray because this is what this is about i don't care about (laughs) branding and what my rinse is because until you tell me what the why is about it how can i tell you what to do exactly or how do you not get snowed snake oil Right. How do you, or how worse, how do you, you make sure you're using the right thing and not the absolute polar wrong thing, which not only just wastes your time and money, but could actually do real damage to clients material. Yeah. And there's this, and there's a liability into that chain, especially when you're dealing with a commodity like wall to wall, tufted carpet, synthetic goods that have warranty on them. Your obligation to know not just the type of chemistry, but that it is approval for use on that product. Cause you know, some carpets, it is what it is. It's been there 20 years to try to get it clean. Some products are still compliant with a texture warranty or a stain resistant and your cleaning solutions can affect that resulting stain resist or that, that warranty that that manufacturer put on it. So you've got to know more than just the clean. You got to know some relationship points too, because it might be a great product in a label but doesn't have compliance with that mill's request that you have to use this special sauce in order to not void your customers' Scotch warranties. Yeah, yeah, that the fluorochemistry or the blo- blockers don't work or whatever it may have been. And this is where cross-cleaning can kind of bite you sometimes. Let's say you're a you know, maid service and you've been cleaning the home regularly on a regular basis and then there's a stain in this carpet or let's make it worse, a rug. Right. You you don't know anything about this rug to you. It kind of looks old and dingy. You don't know it's a twenty thousand dollar Afghan rug. You grab the Windex and you start scrubbing it. Yeah. And And you just ruined a twenty thousand dollar rug. That's an heirloom to the family. I just dealt with a client. It's been the carpet's been there for 17 years, 19 years. The product was on the floor. 
They've had it clean for several years over. The company has gone through a transition of ownership and technicians. A new person came in. Something happened on this cleaning after 19 years, and the cleaner actually got blamed because for history of time, it's always been the same company, same reliability. Now something's changed. It wasn't the carpet in the mine. The cleaner ended up getting hit with a $40,000 lawsuit because, yeah, and not willing to fight. And were they even at fault? Probably not. But in this case, a relationship thing brought their attorney out faster than – they would try to fix the problem. Yeah. And just having that knowledge, just knowing that, you know, you know what? I shouldn't probably jump in this. I don't have the street cred to tackle that problem. Understanding that is huge. Yeah. Don't go there. Don't play. Yeah. So there's the, the cleaning level, the perception of clean, the products that we take care of. You know, we can identify it down to individual fiber type. We can put chemistry on top of things to make them more cleanable. But knowing the science of what the individual, you know, what is pH, what is solubility mean, what, how does that affect what you put on something or should you, why are we vacuuming, you know, cleaning, heck, people don't do it. They don't vacuum and vacuuming is the biggest component of soil load that builds into a person's environment and, and, uh, oh, I did, I went over the vacuum. I had a client today tell my technician, it takes me 10 minutes to vacuum my whole couch. My technician's response, it takes us an hour. So yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we're, we're at a different level and you're charging us to do a service that we're going to be very detailed about. You can do it in 10 minutes over the top of it and get what you know your animals are touching and things are going on. We're going to vacuum every part of this surface as it needs to be, you know, and a little bit more heavily on areas that are visually obvious. And they give us signs of crustiness or other problems. But you know, we use microscopes sometimes, but for the most part, it is a visual assessment. You know, for the is it clean or not? How does it look? Tends to be our our initial approach to is it clean? And then it tends sure. to be how does it smell? Because that'll certainly affect your perception of clean. If there's a if there's a smell on top of the old smells or it smells fresh and clean, well, that means it smells like your laundry. What are you associating that? feeling of or that sensibility of clean in your mind with so there's a lot of perception that goes into that you know and and, and the the indicators on your body does it feel clean does it feel crusty under your feet you know and it's not dirty in that case it's just charge maybe electrostatic charges on the yarn have made it feel stiff but it is actually as clean as it's ever been so again back to what is clean it's that that identifying factor and so as long as you can identify that key core, what is clean to your individual client and what you're working on and the challenge of the soil that you're working on and bring it to a cleaner state. And I think that it's important um, to run a business to understand where your client's tolerance is, as you pointed out, um, and and where your tolerance is. And if they're too far out of whack, it's probably not a job you should tackle. Either you're not comfortable with the complexity with it or on the flip side, you're specialized in kind of being an expert, a high-end expert. Uh, So you're not going to take basic cases for basic cash. So as your knowledge base grows up, as your power increases, your ability to fine-tune your business is, um, you know, this, I don't have any clients. So this is, probably going to fall on a a empty space. But one of the things that I used to do in um, the chemistry gig is I had somebody who worked um, manufacturing floor and he would go clean up meth labs. Yeah. That have you ever done one of those? We, um, 
I haven't done the service. I'm fully educated about the services to the point where I know that we don't want to offer that in my business. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. That was my point, right? So, cause that's the highest level. I would consider that the highest level besides being hired to clean, clean rooms for a tech company or a biomedical lab, which we outside do. of that. We actually do that kind of work. We do clean room and what wow. we call hospital level clean of environments. Hey, I had a staff infection. My dad's, you know, we're, or my family did and we're coming home. So we go through and wipe down walls, clean surfaces, HEPAVAC surfaces, treat with wow. appropriate chemistry. We get referrals from companies directly like Benefect who, you know, advocate that, that cleaning as they're making a cleaner room environment, particularly for the health of in the medical side of people getting sick in those environments. So we, yeah, we definitely approach it occasionally. Most of our jobs are cleaning track homes and commercial properties. You know, we, we clean movie theaters, we clean Chuck E. Cheese theater, you know, places. So we Right. And in that case, we're looking to remove as much particulate as we can, give the uh, visual appearance of clean, give the tactile uh, experience of clean, give the odor experience of clean and then move on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? We just took over a contract and they've been doing that for years and doing a successful job. And we stepped up the system. We added in another machine, a counter rotating brush system, and we're recovering soil that's never been pulled out of this carpet before because of their technique of establishing a clean, okay level. We're bringing it to another level with a slightly ver- varied, varied process that's giving us even you know more responsive results. So yeah. Uh, you know, and they were happy with the level of clean they saw and we're, we weren't. <laughs> so my God, we got to step it up. Our theory is that this is how I was trained. I was taught like this. And I wrote an article for ICS magazine years ago with my uncle as a co-author. I think it was six months into the industry. And the article title was, if better is possible, good is not enough. And if the client wants better and you could have been made it better, why didn't you? You know, if it was possible and if the, if the answer was they didn't, it wasn't in the budget, it wasn't in the time frame. We discussed that, well, that then those are understood, but if it was possible, why didn't you go get that spot cleaner, or get rid of that stain or work on that, that colored process if it was a, an obstacle to the client's feeling clean had happened. So it's a, it's a great, it's a definite industry perspective that you have to have. Yeah. And again, lining up with your client's expectations and what you're willing, comfortable and have enough knowledge to provide, I think, is the key to that alignment. And the, and the more knowledgeable you are, the more horsepower you have, the better you can charge for your services overall. Until you get in trouble. You got to get in trouble because then you become too knowledgeable and you have to contain that arrogance and knowledge to a, and that's where you got to know your client level to not overspeak the bearing of it. Otherwise you'll be over, over and beyond every time, you know, you really have, you can be an expert and, and wean out some of the clients and they're going to naturally not come to you because your price point probably is at a service level that's different, but uh, you got to be careful too, because sometimes you'll start, you'll talk over your client to a point to tune that, know what your base is, know your power, know how to stick the shield, you know, keep keep the sword in the sheath every now and again, and let me pull it out a little bit. (laughs) I, and I think people go through that evolution, right? Once they once they have and gain newfound power, they have a tendency to wield it a little bit. And you also then, if it's effective, people get caught up in the success, the repetitive behavior of what makes them successful. Even if that has a ceiling on it, that behavior can only take you so far. And so um, it, it's just interesting to me that even on the level of clean, you could just dive in and go too far 
and spend too much time on it and go too deep on it. Yeah, um, I got a clean spot in the middle of the room. You, you right. used your science. You wielded your power so far that that's you've right. exposed the lack of cleaning the customer has done for the last five or 10 years. And now they've got a really clean spot in the middle of the room. So can you take a stain out without removing all the other soil at times? Is, is it, it's a challenge. Yeah. And then once you've got that wielding that power a little bit, I think we need to get punched in the mouth. We need to get our ego bruised. So we go, well, I have this power, I have this information and knowledge, but that doesn't mean I can be as empathetic or put myself in the view of my client or understand, you know, the language that I might be using might not be communicating with them well. Because it's our job as business owners to communicate with our clients in a way that works for them. Now, I'm breaking that boundary here, I think, with this show. I'm assuming that our audience is going to be a little more sophisticated than we normally give them credit for. Not that I think that only a small number of them can handle it, but I think that um, I think that the sea's changing there. I think that people are becoming more intellectually curious. And so that's kind of what I'm leveraging here. Yeah, they're out there. They're getting flooded with so many brands of use this and use this and it smells so good and try this out and testimonies of, you know, of success that the science is getting lost to the point with, all right, now which one do I try? Well, not just the science getting lost, the science getting lost with the vendors too. copycat stuff that's coming out. It's like, it's not, it's not the same chemistry. I can go into it. I can go to a John Don or a Ramsco or supply house and walk on their shelf and see four or five products that are the same product with different labels. And yep. the cleaner is not, you know, not that we're expected to look at the ingredients well enough, because usually they're not listed thoroughly enough for us to even know the variances there. But there is such a similarity in the chemistry that works in our cleaning industry that it there's been some reinvention, some changes on surfactant types regulations have led to that cleanability and things you know we can't buy some products in california that we can buy in colorado i mean i see guys bootlegging some of their solvent spotters from las vegas to get them to la so they can take care of their high-end clients oily spots where they can't buy it from their supply because they're it says they're not for sale in california right on the labels so the regulation side of cleaning is changing because people have been so and aggressive in their techniques of cleaning and chemistry to an industrial level. And right, bringing BLCs and the whole nine. Yeah, a dry cleaner can buy it. You can bring your stuff to them. They can service it in a, in a controlled exposure area. But that chemistry shouldn't be brought into somebody's house because now there's volatility, exposure, containment, and other concerns that, that we don't have control over. And the government has changed what they think clean can be. I can't dry clean. Your, your silk drapery in California, like I can in Colorado. And it changes. And, you know, n- whether I'm in Philadelphia or New York, you know, the Republic of California seems to start the regulations and then it moves over to New Hampshire and picks up a little bit in New York. And then it just kind of starts to spread as certain products. Today, we're not seeing as aggressive, um, you know, of a solvent disdain if you, as you look at nonpolar chemistry that goes after oily stuff that doesn't. Right good for the body kind of, it's not good for humans but we use it in a lot of our chemistry and then it's hidden it's like oh, i'll use this one it's citrus it's good for you well not really citrus <laughs> is still a solvent it still doesn't go through your liver and this this you know those parts of it that that are dangerous for us we have to wear gloves i got recently an owner told me he's actually a co-instructor as well he's an awesome guy and he said man my guys all came through your class sean i gotta tell you you're costing me a thousand dollar a year in gloves but 
guess it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, speaking as someone who's had cancer, most likely from exposure to the chemicals that I was wielding uh, in my chemistry days, um, I that's another reason why I want to heighten the awareness of what we do. Because um, I think safety is a big thing that people take for granted across all uh, cleaning verticals. We're, cowboy. we're cowboys. We're mixing stuff in the back of our vans like we're scientists. And we know, I mean, some of the stuff is toxic that we can buy that are sown as, is sold as environmentally friendly. And then you use it in another way and you're mixing it with something else because you're deciding it was something you saw on YouTube or Facebook. And, and all of a sudden you're, you're a chemist and your customers should be able to, ex- you should be able to expect the same results and it's not going to hurt you. Well, yeah. And then all their parakeets die and yeah. they get pissed at you. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the turtles and the parakeet, everything's gone. Everything. It's grown a third leg. So, and what's interesting though is that's the same mistakes that we've already made, right? When the IICRC came about in the '60s and '70s, when Ed York and Pemberton and those guys sat down and 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 you know kind of decreed what they wanted to do with the education, and then by force through the separation, uh, the accreditation, which yeah. became the IICRC. Um, They've already made those mistakes. Truck mounts blowing up, parakeets dying, pets dying. People like dying. You know, and that customer lose a technician recently. One of my buddies that from carpet wow. You know, here in Longmont, guy was cleaning carpet. It happens. You know, we got to safety things just from a toxicities, not just of the chemistry, but of our equipment, the exposure, and and all of that. So we've tried with the ISCRC as a translation tool. You know, getting across to people. I often say in my classes, this is a you don't know the language of cleaning yet. This class is just really a vocabulary lesson. And don't use a lot of this vocabulary in your customers' houses because it might even scare them. You need to know what it means, though, so that if it comes up, maybe as you go to a higher level and you're talking to others that are exposed within it, you can speak our common language. But it is, it's like you've gone to a foreign language class oftentimes when you enter into a water restoration course or carpet. I get, uh, I get a lot of guys that have taken water damage courses and they think they're coming to the carpet cleaning school. Huh, this is going to be easy. And they don't pass because they don't yeah. know the science of cleaning, which is the base of all of our industry sciences of water damage and everything. It, it goes down to cleaning. How do you not know the science of cleaning? Oh, you know how to rip out a house and throw air movers in and bill Xactimate. Okay, good job. But do you really know what cleaning is? And most of them don't. And they find that is a reality check when they get to me, you know, my classes in particular. As I was kind of figuring out where could I get sources of information to kind of learn at this level um, before I went to you guys as the experts, I realized that other than uh, disaster recovery, restoration, indoor air quality, and uh, textile, which is pretty much housed under IICRC, there isn't a lot of really focused technical training in any of the other cleaning verticals. Do you know if ISSA has any real, I mean, I know they have education and some certification stuff, but at different levels, they've got their entire training program. It kind of goes from the janitor all the way through the managerial training. So they do business structure stuff specifically, more module kind of services. And they've done it over the years um, with their protocol. And they've got guys, you know, that have been involved for 
like Bill Griffith that have been around for a long time that know the cleaning sciences, but you're trying to teach that to a custodial guy that right. the label is difficult for him, let alone knowing what the label means. Right. So, and the turnover rate for the people actually doing the work a lot of times Jansan. Yeah. A lot of the Jansan client cleaning then goes to the hospital level clean. Okay. We're going to talk on that level of microbes or it goes to the technical management of cleaning, not the actual process of cleaning. Right. It's like, I handle seven uh, buildings in Manhattan and I have a hundred resources and everything's got to stay clean. Yeah. And it's got to look this level and this is their standard. This is what that means. Oh, if the chief of this firehouse thinks the stairs look good, the whole place is clean. So everybody has their own calibration of a clean. Now, now we can go to clean. We can do surface testing. If we're, if we're going to become a clean society and live in a bubble and be that level, we can do loom tea testing of figuring out what is the the microbial activity on a surface after cleaning it would scare them but there wouldn't be carpet any longer i'm sure there wouldn't be oh, any sponsor yay you, perfect segue sean it's like you were like made for this so the last thing i kind of wanted to chat about here was this list that you know we all know because we've heard about it anecdotally that our cell phone carries 10 times more bacteria than the average toilet seat uh and you know test after test seems to confirm it yep <laughs> uh, of course, we're saying average toilet seat, which means that most people, you know, clean their toilets on a fairly regular basis. Uh, so, and their phone, I clean my hands and my phones more than most people I know, but <laughs> of course you do because you understand what's on it. I've so, um, it. I've done testing on my phone. <laughs> You've done the actual test. So, okay, so good. Then you can kind of confirm with me if you feel this list is good. Here's the six most dirty things uh, we run into in our environment. So number one, obviously, cell phones, followed by what was generalized as buttons. So ATM buttons, you know, anything in the, in the environment where you have to tap that someone else has tapped moments before. Elevator buttons, door entry, handicap switches. You got it buttons um sponges was number three mm, that, i can argue that one but okay well i mean you think about the microbial environment there it's per natural seafoam sponges have an antimicrobial in them that will not allow microbial growth i've done a bunch really? of studies yep you asked the right guy so yes. Tar tarpoon springs florida just north of clearwater is the sponge capital of the world and um, seafoam sponge, sea sponges are cultivated and harvested there. And I went to the whole study and I, you can do the video there in the rooms and they have a museum on it, but natural seafoam sponges, they won't smell moldy or musty. They actually will deter all of that microbial growth. Now a regular sponge in your kitchen sink, a cellulose one, dang it, that's disgusting. But uh, get, get yourself a natural seafoam loofer or some of those really soft, use that in your bathroom area and they never smell. They don't smell musty and they never do and they never will. Do you carry those on your vans? No, well, we do. We actually use them for upholstery cleaning because they don't stink like other sponges do. They also make a better foam because they have lots of pockets in them. So we actually use I uh, we use natural seafoam sponges as part of our business. It's it's also what's in as a consumable or as a piece of equipment. Both. Well, consumable in that it falls apart eventually, and then it's a sponge that we put in a bucket. <laughs> I use it at home too. At home, we use them in our shower. My, you know, my wife, son, and I—we all have different grades of sponges. Whether it's a wool sponge or a silk sponge, and there's all sorts of yeah, sponge. We can talk sponges for a while. That could be a whole episode. Anyway, so yes, keep going on your list. Sponges can be yeah, uh, number four: shopping carts and reusable Ew. grocery bags. Oh, totally, yeah, disgusting. Yeah, 
And especially because you know, not only do they bringing in the colds and the bacteria and the viruses and the biological stuff that they have on their hands from God knows what they were doing before they walked into the store, but now they're touching all of the meats and all of the other stuff uh. that's right. And then that stuff's been repackaged and repurposed and blended and, <laughs> you know, don't get started. I have a homestead for a reason, man. Yeah. They've got little cleaner, little packet cleaners there. When you go into any, a lot of the, at least our neighborhood grocery stores, you know, clean the handle as you're walking in, grab one of these little self-cleaning, throw it away cloths. And they do know. have those now. Yeah. And I do see, you know, about 10% of the population using it. Yeah. You think about your steering wheel in your car. Is that on the sixth list? Where's that at your vehicle? Yeah. Well, no, no, that's, that didn't make the list. Uh, number five went remote controls. Ooh, yeah. So, yeah. Cheese it's right. You got cheese it dust on your remote. I don't care what's on your hand in your hotel room. I'm really careful about cleaning my remote before I touch it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, cutting boards would be number six. Oh yeah. Of course, you know, but as uh, Steve Brandt, the uh, ex-CEO um, of Hydromaster for two decades, my father-in-law told my wife when she was little, oh, that's just seasoning for the next time. My She has a separate cutting board for chicken, cheeses. Her dough, don't mess with her, but her kitchen, she's very specific. Uh, her little special cleaning cloth that's only allowed to be used on certain surfaces. I, I frankly don't go in the kitchen. I'm scared. Yeah. That's yeah, I don't even go in the washing, the laundry room. That, that washing machine is very complicated. It has lots of buttons on it and it makes noises and yells at me. And the chemistry involved in laundry is so complex. I tell my wife I can't do it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then number seven, sinks and faucets and, and refrigeration handles, which, of course, um, which just leads back to it's your hands, people. Yeah. It's all comes from your hands. Anything other people touch, um, you know, that's how we spread all this stuff and, and, and make it nasty. So, yeah, I was doing a phone count on the phone experiment. I was in a restoration consulting job in Kearney, Nebraska with one of my clients and and he has a loom tea, which is just a, a live counter to see what kind of live count you have. And so we tested the phone with a swab and you test it and it's off the chart, 30,000 count. And then you clean it and polish it and use the cleaner and then you can recount. It's, just, it's insane how fast it then builds back up again, especially just from environmental effects. And, and then you're retouching things. So are never, you familiar with the water sheet test on metallic items? I, uh, to, to, for spotting, I think I've seen, but I'm not on the bacterial side. What does that do? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I, oh, you obviously, just when you layer it over the top. Yeah. You kind of sheet spray water down. And stuff you know, like when it's clean, right. Yeah. Generally speaking, maybe not at the uh, microbial level, but, um, it's free of any grease or dirt or debris of any type because it'll, it'll pool up, right. It'll beat up, uh, if there's anything on there, if it's perfectly clean, you pour water on it, it just sheets. It's gorgeous. But you let it sit for more than, I don't know, two hours and you come back and you try it and it'll bead right up. It's just everything that's in it, which indoor air quality, man, we can do whole series on that kind of stuff. And I, I definitely bring in the IAQ guys from for that kind of thing. But for sure. no, I mean, so I, many I, things we can talk about. And they, well, they'll scare most people. You know, you come to the reality of cleaning, you need the housekeepers people on this level. But the people touching the street on the real level, not the, you know, you get the restoration. There's a catastrophe. We're sick in our home. We're going to come in and clean it up. Those are the responsive scientists and the indoor air quality guys that are on that level. But then you have the reality of the duct cleaners, the housekeepers. Those are the ones that need the everyday discussion about stop using filterless bags, you yep. know. 
change your clients filters vacuum your surface areas it's not just the visual it's you know look a little deeper and so I, even on the ISCRC's benefit they've got housekeeping courses that aren't even known about you know very few people attend the housekeeping certification because they don't realize how important it is to know day-to-day -day cleaning it you know the carpet cleaning takes care of it well no there's a lot Who of other teaches that course actually i don't teach it but um i do work with a couple of the guys that do and uh, Bruce Vance is one of the instructors that oh, does Bruce. the house. Bruce is yeah, uh, yeah. I know does Bruce. a great job of connecting to the housekeeping side of our industry and hospitality. And um, I do a lot of training for in you know hospitality cleaning and hotel guest room cleanings. As over the years, I've worked with Hiltons and varieties of other vendors for their housekeeping staff, and we take it well beyond the carpet because you know I'm dealing with a multi-surface. Um, technician, they're dealing with all surfaces. A, a day porter or a housekeeper has expected to, they got to know every fabric in a hotel and that hotel may not Everything. be the fabric you see. Yeah. They, it may not be just your average for holiday in. You might be in a Waldorf or a, a you know, a, where you got a presidential suite that has silk rugs. All over the map, right? I mean, you got different kinds of porcelain. You've got hard surfaces. You got, you know, marble, different stones. You know, from your bowl cleaner on the marble, and you can use it on the toilet, but you can't use it on the floor. Or you're gonna leave spots. Plaster on the walls. You got the tin on the ceiling. Like you, <laughs> all kinds. Closure and cleaning is just it's it's amazing what people don't know and 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 having a good discussion about it and, and bringing that to reality of where we can be. So again, what is cleaning? Well, you know. Get to get to the point of where what you're cleaning, what is the surface, and what are you trying to remove? Yeah, very good. Well, Sean, thank you so much, and uh, we will have you back often. And uh, I think this uh, is a nice little button up on this episode of the Cleaning Podcast. You've been listening to the Cleaning Podcast. Send all of your cleaning questions to the Cleaning Podcast at ServiceMonster.net, and be sure to subscribe to the show. Special thanks to our expert today, and remember, if they could clean it themselves, they wouldn't need an expert like you.